Well, it's great to see you. Welcome, everybody, to Timberline Church. If this is your first time here with us, we are absolutely delighted to welcome you. Thank you for sharing your Sunday morning with us, and we welcome those of you who are joining us online as well, and also those lovely, lovely people in traditions just across the hallway. Uh, welcome to you also. We would love to connect with you. If you're new to Timberline, there's a connection card in the seat back in front of you, and uh, also an opportunity to connect with us online as well. So uh, do that, and we'd love to reach out to you and connect with you. Well, it's my delight today to welcome our speaker, Ruth Durnley. Ruth and her husband, Mark, who is a, a pastor back in England, uh, they've been close friends with Kay and me for decades now. Ruth is the CEO of Stop the Traffic, which is an organization dedicated to end the curse of human trafficking around the world. You count, you count partners with a number of organizations, including Stop the Traffic, and Stop the Traffic works to prevent trafficking through data analysis, uh, awareness campaigns, cooperation with law enforcement agencies, business and faith networks as well. And Ruth's work has taken her to the United Nations, to Interpol, to the British Intelligence Services, to tech companies and uh, businesses, local communities. Now you may have noticed if you've seen any of the posters about this weekend that she has OBE after her name. And you might think, what, what's, what's OBE? Well, OBE stands for Order of the British Empire, which is an award given by the Queen, or now the King, uh, in public recognition of a person's merit or service or bravery. Now, many of you know that I've often joked that I was hanging out with the Queen a lot. Some of you sadly actually believe that, bless your hearts. And uh, I never actually did, but I'm able to tell you now at last we have in Timberline someone who has, because Ruth was summoned to Buckingham Palace uh, to be presented with the award. Very well done. She's been practicing. And uh, she met her late majesty. Uh, we also need to pray for Ruth as she speaks to us today, because yesterday she went for a walk with my wife Kay, and they bumped into a very large snake. I know. Let's give a huge Timberline welcome to Ruth Durnley. <laughs> it's true, and the snake was this big. Okay, and I'd like to come and tell you that I said, Kay, peace. It'll be fine. Let me protect you. But I just ran behind her and sort of sort of trembled and then she literally walked towards it to take a photo which was like unbelievable what a privilege it is for me to be with you today thank you for the generous invitation uh, to come to the timberline family uh, as jeff said mark and i have I've been blessed with years of friendship. I like the way Jeff said, decades. Um, he's a bit older than me. And, and now with Vicky and uh, Greg, and it's so lovely to sit next to friends, Angie and Sean. And now all of you. So, I want to start 
with going and looking at one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's short. It's got four chapters. Guess what it's called? Ruth. Okay, so it's a a story of an ordinary woman. You might not be familiar with this story, but that doesn't matter. Just sit with it. I'm going to read you three little pieces of this story. It starts where tragedy has struck. Ruth's husband has died. Her father-in-law has died and her brother-in-law has died. And her mum-in-law, Naomi, is making plans. And it opens in chapter 1 with these couple of verses. Naomi is saying, look, Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and gods. Go with her. And Ruth says, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home, because where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us, Naomi. So Ruth does just that. She leaves the country of Moab. And she heads across to strange lands with Naomi, and she ends up in Bethlehem. There's a name we know. And at that point, she's a woman who is trying to find a place to survive. She's trying to integrate. She's trying to find work. And we get these verses in chapter 2, where one of the landowners named Boaz says this. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Context of the time. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she said, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Now, what happened in chapter three is a bit of a love story. And Boaz and Ruth get married. And then the very final verses of this four-chaptered brilliant book in the middle of God's big story are these verses. This is the family tree of Perez. Perez had Hezron, Hezron had Ram, Ram had Abinadab, Abinadab had Nashon, Nashon had Solomon, Solomon had Boaz. Boaz had Obed, Obed had Jesse, 
And Jesse had David. Ruth's story. Who do you think you are? My lovely dad was with me and we were on the hunt to find out a bit more of who we thought we were. I don't know if any of you have done your searching of your family trees in ancestry, but my dad has really got into this. And we were going to take a detour to a wonderful old city called Bury St. Edmunds in the UK. And we were on the hunt for my great, great, great grandmother. And the only information my dad said he had was this is number 16 and 17 and a picture of the door. Um, we walked around that city, Northgate, Southgate, Westgate, Eastgate, and we failed to find number 16 and 17. Now, my dad is 83. And I did ask permission to state his age. And uh, he is at the stage where he's really interested to find out more we've come from. Because one way to understand who we think we are is where we've come from. My story starts in 1965. That's 56 before you have to count. And uh, I was born in a little town called Birkenhead, which if I said it properly is Birkenhead. And the River Mersey separates us from the greatest city in the whole world, which is Liverpool. And even if I was to share a bit more of who I am, even in the last few weeks, I have spent my whole life being subject to Queen Elizabeth II. And now I am subject of King Charles III. Our stories are always changing. Our stories are punctuated with doors, some that we wish we'd kept shut and others we're seeking to push open. Who did Ruth, the Moabite, think she was? This extraordinary story is, for a start, in her land, she married a foreigner with different beliefs and different cultures and different ways. And this opening chapter shows the brave, selfless choice that this ordinary woman, who would have gone unnoticed to any of us, made to travel with her mum-in-law. But did you also notice in that story, she needed information? Because she got into that strange place where she did not know what was safe and what was dangerous. And yet Boaz spotted, noticed her and said to her, don't go there. Stay here with these women. I've, I've checked that you can have a shelter and water jars. You see, information that probably saved her life. Today, millions of women, men and children are not being given information to save their life. They're being forced to work, exploited, threatened, 
abused and trafficked. And despite efforts in the world, as we sit here today in this wonderful community that has welcomed this little Liverpudlian girl in, there are many who are facing threat and death far away. And as we're going to hear right here, next door in our streets, traffickers buy and sell people. They stamp an invisible branding of ownership to rip away memories of family, to destroy and threaten dreams. They prey on the vulnerability they pounce at a calculated moment. They're clever. Millions of stories. How many? Just a few weeks ago, one of the latest research documents made the latest guess. And that was 50 million. When I started this 18 years ago, I think it was about 13. It just keeps going up, everybody. And that's counting what people think they can see. Traffickers do it for one thing, to make money. This is big business. A figure, $150 billion a year, was the figure published 10 years ago. In fact, though, our friends here at the Avery Center did some groundbreaking work where they uncovered that the revenue of sexual exploitation in one city in the USA alone was $3.8 billion. This is big business. And worst of all, it's growing. So my story is that in the last 18 years, I've been writing the Stop the Traffic story, a quest, believing that our shared goal is that we can disrupt and in that song, turn the tide, that it's possible. And in doing that, part of our journey has been to take back the power of technology. I bet all of you sitting here have got one of these in your pocket. When I was uh, preaching last night here, someone came up to me and said, I have three mobile phones in my pocket. I went, you must be exhausted. But we all have technology, we're all engaging in it, and as ever, criminals thrive on taking those tools and using them ahead of the game. So we are using technology. We've built the capability of collecting stories of those who are survivors, of being able to see the movement of money as it gets moved from transaction to transaction, from business to business, and start to expose and understand the supply chains that we are all a part of in what we wear, what we eat, what we shop for. Early on, I began to understand you can't stop what you can't see. But if you can begin using the data to be able to start to shine a light, start to bring it out of the shadows, gathering information, enabling people who have never shared to share, 
and begin to build a rich picture so we dare to imagine that we can do that. The only information that my dad and I had was it was 16 and 17 and a picture of the door. We were about to get in the car and I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, have you got any more information after four and a half hours? And he got out his computer and he went, oh, I found the name of the street. <laughs> Abbeygate. <laughs> I paused. I thought I could kill him. And then I said, let's go and find Abbeygate. Abbeygate was the original road. It was now pedestrianized. Of course it was. And there as we ran down was 16 and 17 and the picture of the door and there was much rejoicing and silly dancing by me and uh, shrieking and we took photos. We found the door, but our information was not a matter of life and death. But today, for millions, it is. We have been trying to build this rich picture because we wasted a lot of time. We ran down cul-de-sacs and dead ends. My dad and I wasted time until we got the information. So my friends, we have to do this urgently. We're not doing this because it gives us all a job. In fact, we're trying to do ourselves out of a job. We want to build this picture because we want to become dangerous to the traffickers and the business that is making money around the world. So we've built so far about over a million incidents into a database. I know it's all quite technical. Don't come and ask me too many questions because there's cleverer people than me and the team that do it. And just let me tell you, in the last six months, we've managed to reach four million Ukrainian women who are carrying these in their pockets with information about how to stay safe. You see what data can do? The more we know, the faster we can go, the more we can find the right doors behind which people are trapped and the right doors for people to walk through to safety. Stop the Traffic couldn't do this on our own. We couldn't do this, and our partnership with UCount and Timberline counts. Our partnership with the Avery counts. Thank you for giving to us. Who do we think we are? God wrote Ruth into his story. Ruth, a woman who would have gone unnoticed, a foreigner who chose to open a door and follow a new life and who is written into God's family tree. Can you imagine that? Boaz had Obed, Obed had Jesse, Jesse had David, and David in the line, Mary had Jesus. Savior of the world. Ruth, who do we think we are? Like Ruth, we are written in. All of us created in his image so that we can stand up and speak out and give what we have. That photo of my dad and me, that 
That's a bit of an uncovered story in an album. But we are here to uncover the bigger story, to bring light, to unlock the doors. We're going to be privileged to listen to Jacqueline, Sandra, and Sam's stories in a minute. But who do we think we are? We are people, each with a story. And we know that God opens the door of grace for us, for the world. And we know we are called to open doors for others. And together, by God's grace held in his love, we will all come to that door that we finally open that leads us home. And then we will celebrate all our stories. And everyone will say, Amen. Hi, my name is Jacqueline, and this is my story. I am a Fort Collins, Colorado native. I grew up here. I was uh, raised in a really, um, I guess what you would call a well-off family. My dad was a golf pro. Um, my mom was a housewife. Um, love for me was always conditional. Uh, that kind of set me up later in life to be involved with the wrong crowd, if you will. When I met these guys that wanted to control me and they were obsessed with me, I thought that was love. And so that was very uh, confusing for me. You know, everyone always asks, like, well, how, how does this happen? How does somebody, how does someone get trafficked? Like, weren't you, doesn't trafficking only happen in Cambodia and the Philippines? And how could somebody like that was your boyfriend traffic you? Uh, I'm living proof that that can happen. And uh, this person was at first my boyfriend and then he became my husband. People can be like, well, you know, he was your husband, your trafficker. Just like people have this idea that your husband can't rape you. Yes, your husband can rape you. And yes, your husband can traffic you. And um, Domestic violence is something that was occurring initially, and I knew that I was experiencing domestic violence. Um, I did not understand that what was happening to me was trafficking. And, you know, just, just talk to this guy and get money out of him. Like, what, what's 10 minutes of talking to a guy and manipulating him to get some money? Well, that quickly will turn into more than just talking. And then once you do it the first time, your trafficker is going to expect you to continue to do it. So once you make that first move, it is absolutely necessary to continue doing it. And in my case, um, non-compliance meant punishments. Uh, you're not in a physical cage, you're in a psychological cage due to the brainwashing that you are experiencing. But I was blessed that God um, you know, did kind of shoot the Holy Spirit into me and uh, give me that courage to finally get out. And, you know, I, I was able to pull myself out and I was able to rescue myself and my kids. God rescued me, but I was given that courage from him to get myself and my kids out. My name is Sandra and I am from Fort Collins, Colorado. I was born in Loveland. Um, I actually grew up in a very broken home. My parents had childhood trauma, um, so they didn't know how to cope or 
problem solve or do anything other than do drugs and drink alcohol. Um, so I grew up not knowing how to do anything either. I began to use drugs at an early age. I did not graduate high school. My dad shot himself um, in the head and lived. And through that, I had severe trauma that I never dealt with. Had my first child, got into drugs really bad. Um, it was in within that time, because we wanted the best for our child, we moved up to Alaska. When I moved up to Alaska, my relationship with my ex-husband went really bad. I met my first trafficker at a restaurant I worked at. Um, and through that, he groomed me for a good period of years. And I didn't even realize what was happening. I actually learned how to be a criminal. I learned how to steal things, I, um, whatever, to make money, um, including the sex. Um, so then, while I was visiting my first trafficker, I met my second trafficker in a jail visit. And that's when the manipulation and coercion started for me. Um, and I was being manipulated and coerced through jail phone calls. And in that time period, I had lost my children. I was extremely vulnerable. I grew up um, in a broken home, but I was still very sheltered. So I didn't even understand what was happening to me when it was happening to me. Um, it took a very long time for me to self-identify. It wasn't until four years ago that I decided to change my life, and that's because I begged the um, officers to put me in jail because um, I just didn't want to live that life anymore because God finds you in the darkest of places, and he found me in a little orange Bible um, when I was in a really dark place with dark people. Um, and so I asked for visits from Timberline Church to come do Bible studies with me. In the time that I was in jail, I had been served with child support and custody. Um, and my therapist told me I didn't need the drugs, that I just needed to read a book. And so I just went with the Bible studies instead because I didn't want to read the stupid book. I was still kind of frustrated that he didn't give me my medicine, but um, I knew that I just needed to grow up. And through that, I have changed my life. Um, I have been working with Lisa with Beauty Renewed, uh, making jewelry at the workshops. Um, I also um, have been doing um, stuff with the Avery Center, um, and that is how I got connected with uh, Lisa as well and UCount. Um, and it's just really changed my life. It's really good to have those survivorships. Um, and most of all, faith in God and have people who don't judge you even in your darkest time and just want to help uplift you in the right way spiritually and help um, guide you to the right thing. Hello, my name is Samantha and I'm a uh, recovering heroin addict and survivor of human trafficking. I attended Arizona State University and that is a big party school, we'll say, and I was kind of like a naive uh, I was either 18 or 19 year old and I really, I didn't, you know, my parents out of protection kind of kept me secluded from the drug, drug world. Like I knew, you know, you don't want to do like crack or heroin, you know, I knew all that, but I started to use these little blue pills called Percocet 30s and holy cow, I'm addicted 
to opiates. And that short, shortly left, left to, or developed to a heroin addiction. And with that addiction, I started to realize I didn't want to continue to live this life. You know, it brought me to places I never thought I would be. Kind of got out of that scene. I was in Los Angeles, and that is where I was approached by what they, the term a bottom. She came up to me and she said, hey, I know, you know, you have this drug problem, you're homeless, How, what do you think of going, you can live in this mansion, all you have to do is attend parties. I was in porn and had no clue I was in it. I would have not willingly have ever have signed up to do that. I would never participate in that. And so as a part of that blackmail, they would record us without us knowing. They had hidden cameras and then would use that. If you leave, I'm going to put that out there and send it to your family and show everyone. So that was kind of what kept me there. And I finally, you know, realized I need to get out of California. I was petrified if I stay in the state of California. So I ended up going to Colorado. I went to a treatment center called Red Rock Recovery in Lakewood, Colorado. And that's where I did equine therapy and that, you know, the the horses tremendously helped me find my higher power, which is, you know, God and Jesus. The horses really opened the doors because for a while, you know, I was like, all these bad things keep happening to me. All these horrific things, like why, why does God and Jesus have this happen to me? So I lost my faith for a while and the horses let, led me back to that. And now I have a very, very strong faith and I'm so grateful in those horses. You know, for once in my life, I didn't have to be Sam the heroin addict or Sam, Sam the human trafficking survivor. I just got to be Sam. Well, I think you guys would all agree that was a very powerful video. Can we say thank you to Jacqueline, Sandra, and Sam for their courage and willingness to share your story? Thanks, you guys. It's humbling to know them, amazing people. Hey, listen, if you're new to UCount, uh, UCount is an anti-trafficking organization that has been fighting global and local sex trafficking through prevention, awareness, and restoration initiatives since 2007. And in the past 15 years, the Timberline family has raised and donated over $2.7 million to frontline organizations to help with our global efforts, our local projects, and our marketplace initiatives. So thank you. As you heard through Ruth's talk today, human trafficking is also called modern-day slavery. And it's hard to imagine that there are tens of millions of people in this day and age that are impacted by modern-day slavery. It's mind-blowing. How does it happen? As Ruth said, it's all about the money. $150 billion in annual revenue raised in this business, which is why it is the fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the world. UCount has done spotlights at Timberline for many years, and we typically get up and we talk about the work that we're doing in the brothels in India, helping refugees in Europe and Spain and Northern Africa. But this year, we really wanted to talk more about what domestic trafficking looks like. Sometimes it's hard to comprehend that this actually happens right here in our community, and I think that's what was so powerful about hearing the amazing stories of these wonderful ladies to give us that understanding. 
This year in August, the FBI ran an operation called Cross Country with uh, local agencies. And in one day, the Colorado FBI rescued 11 children, six boys, five girls, who were victims of sexual exploitation, and in addition found 27 missing or endangered children along with 11 adult victims right here in northern Colorado. So why do I tell you those things? Because again, I want you to know that this just doesn't happen in some far off place. It happens right here. But the good news is you have already been in the fight. I look around this room and I see so many people who have been amazing supporters of our ministry, and I'm grateful. So you have been helping those who have been exploited or would have been exploited by supporting us. And you has been working on your behalf in brothels and refugees and working with people like Ruth and running campaigns to Ukrainian refugees. But we've also been working right here in our community with law enforcement to help bring more focused resources to combat sexual exploitation right here in our neighborhoods. In fact, I want you to take a quick listen to a short video from Assistant Chief of Police, Tim Duran, on this matter. Isn't it exciting to know that our police officers see it, recognize it, and are looking for ways to disrupt this crime in our community? Anyway, I'm really proud of them. I just want to ask you, so when you give to UCount, you're probably going, what are you giving to? Well, let me just quickly highlight a few of our partners. So you met Ruth at Stop the Traffic, who is leading the way in human trafficking prevention by the use of technology. We also support Project Rescue, who is building safe homes in Southeast Asia and Europe and making sure that children who are born in the brothels don't have to grow up and be trafficked themselves. Right here in our community, we're working alongside the Avery Center, who is doing leading research in this field, and also um, providing support to those who are and have been exploited. And we're going to continue working alongside the police. And I just want to let you know, we are a 100% volunteer-led organization. So what's that mean to you? That means that 100% of what you give goes to support victims, survivors, and those who are at risk of being trafficked. We thoroughly vet all of our partners so you can know that when you give, your money is going to where it makes a difference. If you pull up your Timberline app and you click on You Count Weekend, you can see all the different ways that you can support us. And I just want to tell you, Timberline Church in advance, you have been such a giving church and you have such a heart for the marginalized. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for supporting us, not only this weekend, but throughout the whole year. And if you haven't been out into the mall area, you know we have brought product. Uh, about 15 years ago when Bonnie founded UCount Campaign, I recognized an area that I knew I knew how to do, and that was shop. So I started shopping in India, in Spain, and grabbing product from survivors and selling it so they had sustainable and dignified work. Throughout the years, we've been buying from, like I said, Spain and India. We're still buying from them. That is all coming in. New products are going to be out there. But several years ago, after Bonnie and I had spent many years thinking, how can we help what's going on right here in our own backyards, we started doing workshops here in the United States. 
So our Beauty Renewed workshops actually provide opportunity for our girls and, and individuals that are right here in our backyards. Our product is out there. Uh, the ladies you saw up on the screen today are have some of their designs there and the products that they've made. We really want to show you guys what they can, what their beautiful skills are. And we're so excited to continue this project of providing that economic empowerment. And we have several workshops going on in the United States, one right here, the main one here in Northern Colorado. And we have three workshops going on in Houston, Texas as well. And some of those workshops are now being led by survivors who have gone through a program and they get to lead those workshops and, and, and go into that. So thank you for your support, your giving and your purchases out here in the mall is what keeps us sustainable and keep going towards this fighting human trafficking. You can even, this morning especially, fight human trafficking by buying coffee. There's coffee out there from Atlas Free and that coffee helps provide um, money to uh, areas that need, uh, that have some survivors as well. So lots of ways to help fight human trafficking. Timberline, you're amazing. You always have been the last 15 years, so supportive of what we're doing. Thank you because it's partnering with you is how we make it work. Thank you. Let's really give it up for that team, can we really? Amazing. I'm honored to be part of a church that is dedicated to changing the world. Sometimes people say, well, what, what are these Christians up to? What are we doing? And this is a wonderful example. In a few moments, Pastor Darry is going to come and share some final closing words with us that are really, really important. But before that, we're going to sing in a moment or two that refrain, this is my story, this is my song. That, that hymn, it's a, an old hymn, it was written by Fanny Crosby. She wrote over 9,000 hymns. She was blinded uh, at the age of two. Her story is one of joy in the midst of, of suffering. And she was also a very passionate voice speaking out against slavery in her day. And then she spent many years serving in local rescue missions in uh, impoverished downtown areas. And I have no doubt that if she were alive today, she would be another vocal voice, an activist against this curse of modern day slavery. She died at the age of 94 in uh, 1915. She's buried in Connecticut and her tombstone on her tombstone, there's what's described as a modest inscription. It simply says, she has done what she could. Our hope and prayer is that we will do what we can. If you're able, stand with me and let's sing. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my 
sing it out. Come on, sing it out. This is my story. This is my a story, don't we? Amen? Wow, what a powerful message. I hope that it uh, goes deep into your heart. I know it's very sobering. If you haven't heard some of these stats before, it can almost be a shocker to you. I thank God for people on this team who volunteer. They're all volunteers, and they give hundreds of hours for this cause. That's what happens when you let God put a passion in your heart and he opens doors that otherwise cannot be opened. That's why we give. That's why as a church, we're a funnel. Every penny that you give to you count today goes to all the things you've heard about today. That's risky as a church sometimes. You say, well, no one's going to give to anything else. That's okay. God takes care of that, and he makes up for the difference. So I invite you. There's a black box back there if you physically want to write a check to Timberline, put you count on the memo line, every penny will go there. If you have your regular tithe and offering, that's great. Put that in there. We get that. On the tabs, as has been mentioned, if you scroll down, if you text give or however you give on our app, there is a box that says you count. Click on that box. That'll be up for about a month or so and uh, you will have that opportunity. If you're not prepared today, we get that, okay? And then you get to go shopping. But I want to ask you, do something. Some of you are people of means, and God has blessed you. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Because this is a ministry worthy of our consideration to make a significant. Bonnie and I believe that this is one of the things that we want to sacrifice to give to because it's very well worth it. Amen. For us it is. And I know for many of you it is as well. This is not guilt giving. Don't do it. If, you, if you're given out of guilt or constrained to give, you'll resent it later. Timberline wants nothing to do with that. You give out of joy and you give out of love and you give out of what God puts in your heart to give. Is that fair? Amen? So Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us to be a funnel as a church all these years, and that's what we are. So we give joyfully, and we are grateful for these girls here locally and around the world that have been set free from you. You're at work, and we know it. In your wonderful name, amen. Let love live. Say it with me. Let love live. Now let's go shopping. God bless you. Have a great weekend.